Good afternoon. My name is Lee Eric Fesco, the, one of the grandchildren of Clara Valero. Thank you for being here. Thank you for traveling great distances to be here, and even those of you who are, are just listening, uh, be it now or, or after the fact, thank you for taking the time to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of my grandmother. My grandmother has a crooked finger. For those of you who don't know how she got that crooked finger, I'd like to tell you. It was one innocuous afternoon in, in Mexico, Mexico City. My grandmother was on her way to her place of work, which happened to be the church. And she'd just gotten out of the car with her keys still in her hand, and the door to which she was headed was not more than a few steps away. But before she could reach the door, there came upon her a man who stood between her and her destination. Suddenly the man reveals his gun to my grandmother and points it at her. There's no, there's no mistake here. He means her harm. In the judgment of anyone who could see a snapshot of the events that are unfolding, my grandmother was at a severe disadvantage. He, a younger man, much stronger, mobile, and undoubtedly a seared conscience, so, so who knows what he's capable of? Standing opposite him, facing the business end of a revolver, there stood someone's grandmother. With a gun drawn and pointed squarely at her, he said in a much more colorful manner than I'll repeat, he said, give me your car keys or you're going to eat this gun for lunch. Most of us are taught in moments like these, just let them go. Let the keys go. Give them the keys. A car can be replaced. Just be safe. But when this thief made his cowardly threats telling my grandmother he was going to put a gun in her mouth if she didn't hand over his keys, what was her response? Go ahead. Put the gun in my mouth, she says, because I'm not giving you my keys. He then tried to forcibly remove the keys from her grip, and he began to hit her. My grandmother wasn't about to give up. This man wouldn't get the best of her, not by himself. Suddenly, a second man, a second man came to the aid of his accomplice. So now it was two on one, two thugs versus a grandmother who's in a fighting mood. They continued to try and force her to turn over the keys when they, they drug her to the ground, still pulling on the keys. She hung on to one of the man's legs as he tried to free himself, dragging her down the sidewalk. They pleaded with her, let go, you crazy woman. Two men tugging, pulling, and fighting to try and wrestle the keys away from her. Her index finger was firmly affixed and looped into the key ring. In all the wrestling, they had to break her finger to be able to get the keys. And if not for that, I'm not sure they would have been able to get the keys from her. All this to say, to this day, as a result, she has a crooked finger. When I recall that story, I can't help but think, if, if, if that happened to me, if I had a confrontation like that, I'm not sure I would ever talk about anything else for the rest of my life. How are you today, Lee Eric? Well, I'm fine today. But did I tell you what happened to me eight years ago? I'd never stop talking about it. But here's the thing, for my grandmother, I'm not sure an event like that would crack the top 10 if she were to rank the most traumatic events of her life. It's why my kids affectionately call her the Iron Grandmother. 
She was born in a well-to-do family, but her childhood was one of extreme poverty because her family lost nearly all they had in the wake of a revolutionary conflict in Mexico. At the age of 26, she immigrated to this country with three children, two suitcases, and $20 in their collective pocket. The country she was leaving, she was leaving as a Protestant, a Protestant who was persecuted for being so in a, in a Catholic-dominated culture. But now, she was entering a country, country where she wouldn't be persecuted for being Protestant, but persecuted for being Mexican. She lost her son in Vietnam in 1969, which served as the impetus for her wanting to return to Mexico with her husband because they would encounter the memories of their son around every corner they turned. She lost her husband unexpectedly and tragically in 1987. She was partially blind for a season of life because of bad LASIK eye surgery. She fell down the stairs and, and broke her shoulder so badly they nearly resolved to amputate it. She came back to the United States and found a doctor who could repair it and, and another doctor who could repair her eyes, thankfully. My grandmother broke both her hips, her wrist, and finally her leg. And of course, let's not forget that she was managing the effects of kidney cancer up until the very end. Now, I'm sure that's not an exhaustive list. It seems my grandmother's life was one marked by seasons of suffering, so much suffering that the average person might stop and ask, why, why does one person have to endure so much hardship? It might make the average person ask, if there is a God, why would he allow this portion to befall one person? If there's a God and he allows them this much pain, he's either powerless to stop it or he doesn't care to stop it. Which one is it? Through all the suffering seasons in her life, my grandmother wouldn't question the existence of God. She would run to it. And to the person who doesn't believe, they would insist that religion, the belief in God, is nothing more than a crutch to have something to lean on during difficult times. My, my grandmother would tell you, oh no, it's not a crutch, it's a life support system. It's the very air I breathe. I'm nothing without it. Why? Why would she embrace a God who doesn't spare her these seasons of trial? You see, what God made, what God made in the beginning, it, it was a world that was good. He said so himself. But when he brought humanity into the world that he also called good, humanity ended up being the very thing that would break the world. And when humanity decided to do something on their own, trying to remove God from his rightful place, pain and suffering was born. And here's what we need to understand about this. When we commit treason against the God of the universe who made everything good, it doesn't come without a price. There's a price to be paid here, but, but the moment we broke the world, it was the loving God who informed us of his intention to repair it. And he would repair it through Jesus Christ. This is, this is what my grandmother believed, that the price to be paid for the sin that we brought into this world would come by way of a penalty, but instead of allowing that penalty to fall on us, he put it on the shoulders of Jesus. And in doing so, not only were our sins forgiven, but we were given a, per a perfect righteousness too. We were declared righteous. We gave Jesus our sin. He gave us his right standing before God. But do you see how this transaction was accomplished? 
It was accomplished by way of suffering, the suffering of Jesus Christ. We who believe this are made right because of the suffering of Jesus. And once this legal declaration is made, then the Lord has one objective for us for the rest of our lives to make us more like his son. And we are being made to be like his son. Suddenly it gives new meaning to what Clara Valero endured. It means her suffering was not something that flew at her out of God's control. While God is not responsible for the sin that broke the world, he does something with the suffering that comes as a result of it. What I'm saying is, for every broken bone my grandmother had, for every loss, for every heartbreak, the creator of the world weaved together a beautifully glorious tapestry in, with, and through the pain. After Jesus Christ was crucified, soon after his resurrection, he started to appear to his disciples. And when he did so, this was Christ in his resurrection body. It was a glorified body, no longer subject to the pains and ills of the world. And it was Thomas, the disciple, who said, unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. And soon thereafter, the Lord appeared before him, and he said to him, put your finger here. And see my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Don't you find it curious that here's the Lord in his resurrected, glorified body. His body has been made new again. And in this body, which has been made new again, he retains the scars from his hands and his side. He still has the scars. Why would Jesus have retained the scars? Jesus in his glorified body retains the scars. Why is that? Because the scars are marks of glory. Because the Father was most glorified through the suffering of Jesus Christ. These aren't battle wounds. They're marks of glory. They're marks of victory. So think about that. If it's the Father's objective to make us like his Son for every believer, the Holy Spirit's work is is to infuse you, if I can use that word, with the likeness of his Son, that your character would become more and more like his each and every day. Do you see what this means for the struggles of someone like my grandmother? The scars she bore, the metaphorical, emotional, and sometimes literal scars that she bore aren't merely inconsequential wounds of battle either. They're the evidence of Christ in her. Christ working in her and molding her and sculpting her into his likeness. But now, 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 right now, She knows no suffering. She knows no pain. She sits in the presence of Christ, basking in his glory. And I want you to understand something. What she knows now, the glory she beholds now, is deepened for having been through the struggle she experienced. She knows and understands the glory of God better for having been through what she went through, had she not. Can someone really appreciate a good meal if they know not what it feels like to be hungry? Can someone really appreciate the light if they know nothing of darkness? Can someone really appreciate companionship if they've never experienced loneliness? This is what the Apostle Paul was stressing to the church at Corinth when he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
The Apostle John tells us in Revelation 21, when, when history comes to an end and he brings about the new heavens and the new earth, he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Both the apostles John and Paul are telling us what to believe about our present reality. They're telling us that what will become of, of present suffering. Yes, there is suffering now. And yes, Jesus has power over this vile intruder we call death. And yes, he will silence death. But he won't just silence death. He's going to undo death. I'm going to make you new again. I'm going I'm to unwind the clock of sin's curse. I'm going to reverse sin's curse. And what was made wrong, I'm going to reverse it and make it right. I'm going to make all things new again. You see what this means? It means, yes, he allows suffering to occur. But then somehow he's going to undo it, and and somehow our future glory will be better for having gone through the suffering. The the, The glory my grandmother enjoys now has been made better for having been through the suffering she endured. And one day, one day I'm going to see my grandmother again. And when I see her, I know she'll be smiling. And I pray she's amongst the multitude who's there to greet me when I enter into, into, into this glory. And do you know what? I tend to wonder if I were to look at her closely as she waves to me in glory, if I were to look closely, really closely, I wonder if on that hand with which she waves, we're able to see one slightly crooked finger. A slightly crooked finger on that hand is a sign of not suffering, but the glory finally made complete. May God bless you, and thank you for being here.